your Que Lo Que podcast, a place where we shine a light on Dominicans who are making an impact for and on our communities. I am your co-host, Albert Garcia, and as always, I am joined today by my partner in Dominicanness, the ever-so-talented, always-spectacular, Venesmia Fernandez, lovely Venus. ¿Cómo está? Que lo que? Aquí guayando la yuca. You know, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, Venus, you know a lot about today's guest today. Tell us a little bit about her. Look, she, I'm just going to say personally, una prima mía, for those of you that never met her, uh, you need to go meet her. She used to live here, but now she went away to the cold city of Boston. <laughs> but I'm happy to say that we have Cecilia Gutierrez here with us. Uh, she has uh, dedicated her entire life to fill it to uplifting and advocating for children and families residing in low-income communities, particularly black and brown children. Currently, Cecilia serves as the deputy director. Check this out. Lo voy a decir otra vez. The deputy director for My Brother's Keepers Alliance at the Obama Foundation. Yo lo digo otra vez. She's doing big things. She's doing big things. And prior to the Obama Foundation, Cecilia spent six years working at the Miami Children's Initiative, which most people from here call it MCI. And um, you know what, Cecilia? Hello, Hello, primos. Oh man, oh man, this is great. I'm telling you, man. Felicidades oh. al todo con ustedes. Gracias, gracias, gracias. Oh man, it's, I love it. it's great. It's great to have you here, Cecilia. I mean, again, I think I think all the work that you've done and, and over the over the course of your career, um, and that now now taking you down to bigger and brighter things. It's always good to 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 make a, a little bit of time for us. Um, but tell us, talk to us, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, you know, you See. went to college, you know, you're, you're, you went, it's going to Boston in some ways is almost like returning home to a certain degree. Um, at least in terms of your time, tell us about your time at, you know, both in college and, you know, at Boston college and, and how you came to work in Miami. And then eventually what brought you back to, to Boston? Yeah. Thank you for that. So, um, let me just keep it real, right? I am, uh, I am the daughter of two Dominican immigrants that immigrated to the United States. My mother was the youngest of 12 children and the first to immigrate to this country. She grew up in poverty, came to the States, was in poverty. Um, I will tell you, she has four children. I am, I am her third child. I always act like I'm the oldest, but I am her third <laughs> child. And we are, we are, the best examples of what I feel other Dominicans have gone through, which is first generation immigrants. We got an opportunity to go to school. We got an opportunity to go to college, but not all of us did. Right. So I just want to keep it real. Like my sisters and I, we both have master's degree. My sister has a master's in public administration. I have a master's uh, in, in public administration. My sister has a master's in business administration. Both my brothers, however, have been in and out of jail most of their lives. They got caught up in the early 90s with what we now know was a systematic approach to black and brown boys in this country. They got caught with a little bit of weed and it started their cycle of being in and out of jail their entire life. I just have my older brother who was recently caught with cocaine and guns and money and is back now into the prison system. And he has been in prison since he was 
18 years old in and out of his entire life. And that has deeply impacted someone like me who who wants to do good in the world, right? And maybe the only thing to share with you, because I just want to make sure, because I know so many of us who are given an opportunity have the complexities of our families who, while we might make it, we're still, we're still loving and being with family members who have not been given the same opportunity. And so it's really complex and challenging when you don't make enough to lift all your family members out of poverty and you have all this complexity that you're dealing with all the time. So let me just say this. I am a product of people that have deeply invested in me and my life. I'm a, I am lucky. I say this often. I am lucky. I grew up with a bunch of other Dominicans who were not given the same opportunity that I was given. I, I feel very privileged that I was chosen to do that. And so I feel like I've spent my entire life wanting to pay it forward, wanting to make sure that I was representing our people, wanting to use my voice in a way that was representative of Lo Dominicano, representative of my family, that would that would still lift the stories of my brothers who were not given the same opportunity. So I think my entire life, I have chosen this life of service. My mom is really disappointed because she really wanted me to marry rich and lift the entire family out of poverty, but that was not my <laughs> calling. That's but a good Dominican mother. That's a good Dominican mother. Cásate con alguien. Cásate. Cásate. But that was not my destiny. <laughs> anyway, I say that to you because I know that all of us, particularly us Dominicans, right, who may not have immigrated to this country or come from money or come from wealth and like some are given opportunities and some are not just a heavy responsibility of what that means. But I will tell you, I've never forget my Dominican-ness in every single room that I'm in. And in terms of like my college experience, I want you to know I'm a little bit of a nerd, but in college, I made history at Boston College, which is, I'm just so really proud of this because I was the first Latina student government vice president at Boston College with the first male president. So it was like Haitian and Dominican running Boston College in the 90s. Oh, I love it. I love it. Historia. (laughs) I like it. We're making history. Hispaniola running Boston College student government in the 90s. No, no, and, and and that's you know, and and you see all that kind of activism in terms of by students and and kind of breaking molds and breaking things in terms of our parents. I mean, I, I also, I mean, I think you know your your point about in terms of um, what success looks like, or at least you know success maybe not falling to all members of the family. I mean, I think that speaks to a lot of us. I think you're right in terms of we have these complexities. I think it also speaks to the fact that especially as immigrants in this system, you can't judge folks' worth and value by titles and experiences alone, right? Yes. And, and part of, I think, is what you were talking about in terms of your experiences, that to know the, the value and the potential of somebody, um, you can still have great people um, who just wind up and take different paths, right? And as you talk about in terms of whether it's your brothers um, or the work that you're doing with my brother's keeper, the truth is, is that the system, as you said, has, there's, there's a lot of pitfall, pitfalls built into the system and that doesn't necessarily reflect people's either true potential um, of people's true value and worth, right? Um, yeah, but we don't know that, right? Like when you're growing up poor and you're being told to pull yourself up by your bootstrap, which is the biggest lie you tell poor people, right? Because no wealthy person does anything alone and networks and gets 
dad or mom to call somebody in their network to get that job or land that internship. You know what I mean? Like, but with poor people, we tell them to pull this up up on the boost up. We do not know. We don't understand. We have no knowledge that there is an entire system of people around protecting the status quo and systematically leaving out us out of the equation. We don't know that as poor. We don't know that when we're growing up. Our parents who immigrated in this country don't know how the system works. And it's not yeah. only until much later that you understand the, in, the deep injustices that was done, particularly to brown and black boys in this country. And the fact that we then decide as a society who makes it and who doesn't. And someone made a decision early on in my life that I was worthy of an investment. But not all of my but like my smarter um, children and youth and young people that I grew up with got that same investment. No, yeah. I agree. No, I, agree. I think it's true. And, and so tell us a little bit about how, how you take that experience and how that folds into the work um, that you did here in terms of in Miami and then as well as in terms of what you're doing in terms of now in Boston. Yeah. So I would say, listen, it's, let me just be again, really candid, right? It took me a long time to find my voice. And to be comfortable in my own skin and to feel vulnerable and to be willing to share my story and to be and to be willing to say, I don't know, and to be willing to sort of um, make a ton of mistakes as I try to do the best work that I can. So I would say the way that that showed up, you know, like um, I was working in a predominantly African-American community in Miami called Liberty City. I think the fact that I was Latina really was a huge advantage for the neighborhood and it showed up in many different ways. But I remember that some of my staff would be really critical of me because I would give, I was, I'm very Latina, like both of you, right? Like, and I would dispense a hundred hugs a day, a hundred kisses a day. Like I would just naturally greet my children and family with a hug or with a kiss and with a joy that is our Latino-ness in so many ways. And I could see the the community transformed by that. So I was strategic and I was driving an initiative and I was raising millions of dollars and it was so tough and complex and challenging. And I was working to turn around a low performing school and work in a really tough neighborhood. But what I also learned is that our humanities matter. And that people just wanted us to see them and hear them and value them and hold them as assets. And so it got to a point where I would have kids come up to me and, and be like, Miss Cecilia, can I get five hugs and 10 kisses today? Like people still need one another to embrace one. Like we, this, this idea of like humanity and tough neighborhoods in that, in like humanity in the sense in this, um, space of poverty, um, this recognition that we are all human beings with souls and dreams and and wish for a better life for all of us, right? Like, I, I think in, in, in every work that I, in everything that I do now, I would say that one thing that's most important to me is being able to see and hear people at whatever table they sit, at whatever level they, they do, as, as real humans that are whole and contributing and want a better life for themselves, for their children. There wasn't a single parent that I met throughout my entire work who didn't want something more for themselves and their children and who were just caught up in a system of poverty and systemic poverty and intergenerational poverty, and they didn't know a way to get out. And so 
I say all that to say that I think what has defined me now in my 40s is to say I'm much more honest and authentic about who I am. And I so much more value my own family stories, um, the, the what I am here to learn from my brothers and others and what I'm here to learn by the people that I feel really privileged to serve. I think it's amazing, too. I think, you know, when I hear you talk about that, I think, you know, it, it, there's, there's a recognition that in, in, a, in a lot of communities around this country, there's, there's, you know, there, there's a lack of love, right? Like ever present in those. And, and that doesn't have to come with being in low income neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that I, I think, you know, I think there certainly was a time, I think it's a lot tougher now. Maybe it was always tough. Right. But I think that there are certain communities, even who were low income communities where people did feel a certain sense of, of communityness of, of love, um, and I think, you know, what's been amazing, especially in terms of when you look at the war on drugs and how it's, you know, ravaged a lot of our communities, that's one of those things, right, that I think that's gotten taken away, right, that this idea of, of, of showing affection and love and, and, and those, and not to say those things never were there, but I think, you know, I think some people, I think more and more people who are growing up in poverty are also growing up without some of those other emotional um, support networks, right? And those other emotional stuff. And, and that in some ways doesn't get, you know, sometimes gets lost in the numbers game, right? Of, uh, of stuff. And I think sometimes even when you hear older folks talk about the communities, whether it's down South here, or whether it's in the Northeast, people do reflect upon a time where communities sometimes seem to, to at least hold each other a little bit better before. And now it just seems yes. like even the idea of, of, of giving hugs and kisses or whatever, that being radical, um, <laughs> you know, that being a radical kind of thing, you know, in terms of in a school where before that was like, at least that was the baseline, right? Mm -hmm. That that's what something you the want. The only other thing to add, because you're exactly right. The only other thing to add, right, is like when you grow up and you're struggling, right? And you're swimming upstream and you're drowning most days, you don't have the privilege to pause and reflect and process the trauma, the trauma of hearing gunshots every day. The trauma of watching your loved ones suffer, the trauma of being a part of, of a community that is hurting one itself and shooting one another. Like I know I, I lost five youth when I was leading my Keep Alliance. Just this week, we lost another 18 year old that was shot and killed. And like, I remember crying and weeping frequently about what I was seeing and experience and my outrage around it. And we never made room for our children and families to process that themselves, right? It was like cry for one day, go to the funeral and keep it moving because you got to go to three different jobs or you got to deal with, hmm. like, it, we do not have the space for privilege that a middle upper class community might have to be able to go to therapy. To have the benefit of having deep discussion about how is this impacting my life? There are all these studies now that show even hearing um, someone that's low income talk like when you approach someone that's low income and you tell them that they have to think about the bills that they want to pay that day. It shows that when they take a test tune afterwards, the test score, they're impacted by like 13%. Like just hearing that trauma impacts that. But we don't talk about that. Again, our mm -hmm. community members don't know that there's all this research about what it means to grow up poor and how that impacts our ability to think, how that impacts our ability to move forward. Like none of these things are shared. And I think that's a huge disservice. 
No. Yeah. And I think what's interesting too, is that even if you, you know, quote unquote, get out of that situation, right? Even if you rise to become and, and, and graduate high school, go to a high performing either high school, go to a high performing college, even get a high performing job, that trauma is still there, right? Yes. right? That trauma in some ways is still triggered at some point. So at some point, if not dealt with, then you're going to have to deal with it or your employer might have to deal with it, right? Yes. Or your coalition, if you're working at a nonprofit or whatever. And so it's interesting you say that because I think, you know, increasingly, I think, you know, people have asked me, especially folks, you know, who are a little older, it's like, well, what's the deal with all this like stuff around triggering and traumas and people and college students dealing with that? And the truth is that this younger generation is much more direct about needing the self-care and needing those kind of things because they recognize it perhaps more than I think even some of our own folks in their forties or fifties who are like, look, I, you never get over that, right? You never get over that. And, and that affects you. Right. And, and when you talk about the bills and, and, and this operation of learning how to succeed, but still operate in scarcity, like scarcity, fear, shame, like all those things are things that, that still at some point, if you don't know how to deal with it, are going to impact you down the line whether it's personal or professional or any of those no, kind of other it's other It's very ways. true. And Cecilia, you know, you're a mother of a son. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? What have you, I mean, is it conscious? I mean, I'm going to say you probably do it more consciously, but do you consciously in your mind, because of the background that you've had with your, you know, with where you've worked as well as growing up and your experience with your, your brothers, you know, do you consciously, what are you consciously your cycle, you know, or what can you advise maybe other people, other mothers that have nothing to do with being Dominican or maybe the black and brown that listen to our show that we, there's certain things that we have to do consciously to change that because we, now we have the opportunity to, to teach our children, you know, from a younger age, not to fall into certain things. Cause it's easy to say, Oh, go to school, go to this, but it's also something internally that, or culturally as well, that we have to, Take a take a moment, like you said, take a moment to breathe. Like, what have you done or what are you doing? Or, you know, let us know. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, Venus, you know, there's like my, my situation is a little bit different. So um, just for all the audience, I, um, I, I had the privilege of adopting a little boy. Uh, yes. My son is four years old. He was born drug exposed to cocaine. And I met him when he was 13 days old. I became his mom when he was 30 days old. He is the greatest miracle in my entire life. And so I think what I do, Venus, is I pour every ounce of love into this kid that I have. Like I pour it all in. I pour it in. We do daily affirmation every night. And it's like the I am affirmation. I am smart. I am loved. I am important. I am beautiful. Every night I am blessed. I am loved. I am beautiful. I like every day I pour in as much as possible. And then here's what, here's what we know, right? About early childhood education. Here's how I know about how children succeed is we, if they feel love, if they are confident in their being, then and, and they read daily and they take this education thing seriously with your support, they will reach their fullest potential, whatever that looks like for them. Right. And so I work really hard not to pour all my hopes and dreams into my child for who I think he should be. I'm working really hard to allow him to be who he is supposed to be, whoever he is supposed to be. 
as his mom, I want to support that. And I, that means as a Dominicana, like I have to, like all the things that I grew up with, all the things like my, drives my mother crazy the way, let me just be honest, it drives my mother crazy the way that I'm raising my son. It drives, it is like, it drives her crazy. They say, no tiene costumbre, que lo que está pasando. Like all the things that you would hear from a Dominican parent, I'm hearing it. I'm just wanting to know. And I work really hard not to fall into that and to make sure that I know that I have to make sure that I'm giving this child the best opportunity that he has in life to be whoever he is supposed to be. Yes. And I'm that's a good, uh, in the end, I want a good person who is kind to human, who wants to lead a life of service, but who is living out his gifts. Yes. yes. And, 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 you know, since you talked about, you know, your Dominican mother and and my dad, they tell me the same thing too sometimes. Or they say, you know, I'm like, yeah, because they're people, they're three different people. <laughs> but is there anything that you can say traditionally that maybe that you do besides the affirmation that I can say that you do that is bien Dominicano, Maybe with your son, that's something you grew up with. Are you kidding me? Claro. <laughs> Bailamos toda la noche. Merengue, salsa, bachata, lo que sea. Y el niño, me encanta su abuela y su plátano maduro, por favor. Mira, que dominicano, Grayson. <laughs> Pero bailamos. ¿Sabe que nosotros los dominicanos? Yo me recuerdo creciendo bailando. Cuando nosotros nos unimos junto para the holidays and everything else, we would just push everything aside and dance. And I love to dance. Yes. I honor that as us, as part of our culture. I love Imaranga and Bachata and, and I hope my son loves to dance too and I do no different. So I would say there are so much stuff about our culture that I love and that I am instilling in him, including keeping our language, including being able to speak Spanish is really important to me. So those are things that I'm doing. I can say I do that in my house too. Sometimes my my friends are like, you're always dancing with your kids because, you know, my older kids, they put it on Snapchat y cosa, toda esa vaina. And they're like, oh, you were learning this new, tu sabes, the thing. And I'm like, yeah, because they just, you know, I don't care. I, I just love it to bring them joy. It's the little things that, yeah, life, la, el, vamos a decir, vamos a hablar claro. El mundo es complicado. It, and but I want them to at least when they walk inside their house, su casa, that they can just be who they are, worry about anything, and dance the night away. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yeah. forget about it. Even if it's for that, like you say, take a take a moment to breathe. I say, take a moment to dance. <laughs> well, look, and then and the thing is, I, I got to believe that also, you know, having gone from now from Miami, you know, to, to Boston, you know, Massachusetts, there's definitely a growing Dominican community there. You know, we've seen recently with, with, with Julia Mejia winning into the Boston State Council. You know, tell us how the, you know, in that way, transitioning in some ways, a place where, you know, you know, being Dominican at best is part of like a, a, a you know, part of a, a general Latinidad that that's. And that is Miami and that in of itself is a separate kind of thing. But, you know, how does that transition going back to a place like like Boston or at least in the Northeast where Dominicans are at least are a little more publicly present, maybe a little more, um, 
you know, maybe a little bit more round, you know, how has that transition been um, both in terms of personally, but also in terms of even professionally in terms of dealing with that and, and, and working that out? Yeah, no, I, it's been so wonderful coming back home. I left when I was 18. I just I came back because I was like, oh, I need help now that I'm a single mom. But I would say um, we we grew up with a really strong Dominican community. And, and we came to Lynn, Massachusetts because my mom's best friend, who's Dominican, was here. And um, she has had lifelong friends here. They have had children that we grew up with. We, we just had a gathering of all like the daughters of these moms the other day. And it was so beautiful. So I would say like, I grew up very, I, I grew up very Dominican. I grew up with a church that was fully Dominican. I grew up with my mom and friends who were Dominican. I grew up in a very strong Dominican culture. And as such, we have seen Dominican rise in political power, you know, own more businesses, become more affluent, sort of navigate being here in this community that I didn't really see as much happening in Miami, but can certainly sort of appreciate it in um, here in, in Massachusetts. So it, it's, been, yeah. it's been wonderful. No, I, I think I think it's I definitely it. spectacular, it. And, and and being able to see that that generation, right, that that kind of rising generation, being also see. being a part of that that rising generation has got to be um got to be good. You know, this is uh, this is your Que Lo Que podcast. We are Mangu for your soul, and as we always like to say here, um, you can't have Mangu, right, without lo so, so this is our this is our rapid fire Dominican part of the com- of the conversation. Venus likes to lead us in, so I'm, I'm gonna turn it over to Venus. So Venus, you know, do what you do when you do what you do. Mira, first of all, primero, Cecilia, I need to know. Necesito saber. Tú talita, are you ready? Estoy lista. I'm a little scared, oh. but I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't be scared. I, I know. Especially she, she, she grew up bien dominicana. Vamos a ver, vamos a ver. Vamos a ver, vamos a ver, vamos a ver. Merengue bachata. Por favor, merengue. Merengue. That's not even a question. Okay. Totone o maduro. Tostones, siempre tostones. Okay. And this one's the most difficult. Prepare yourself. I'm ready. Morir soñando o con chiclú. Morir soñando, por favor, mi favorita. <laughs> hands down, hands down. The clear winner, the clear winner. You know, I think we need to have score. I have a lot of people saying Mori soñando, and I must say, we even have people that gave us receta. Do you, I'm just throwing it out there. Tú tienes receta, tu mamá, un receta de tu mamá que tú, you want to share. We're not sharing it, pero claro que sí. Mira, eso es secreto, eso es secreto. Es nada más para la familia de nosotros, tú sabes. Maybe we'll do a special prize drawing or something. You can have Cecilia's, you know, Mori soñando. Actually, that might be a good fundraiser for you guys over there. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. Thank you very much for telling our listeners what they really want to know, what they need to know. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of wrapping things up, but you know, before we kind of just go through a lot of stuff, I want to know, you know, let us know, is there three essential things you would like to share with our listeners 
being diminished color, of being a mother, you know, of anything, like three things, or maybe a book that they should read, or maybe a poet they should know. Let's open, you know, our listeners' minds and, and teach them something as well as not only about you, but about life and yeah. see where it goes. Let us know. Que tu tiene? Dime, enséñame. Ooh, pressure, pressure. Okay, so, okay, three things. Here's the first one. Um, as Dominican, as Dominican, as Dominican American, as individuals who are privileged to use our voice for good, I, I here's what I want our listeners, our listeners to know. When you are at the table, don't ever sit on the sideline. Sit at the table and don't wait for an invitation to sit at the table. And then once you're at the table, use your voice to share our stories. That's thing one. Don't sit at the sideline, sit at the table and don't wait to be invited. Number two, and this is, um, this is me. I have recently decided to surrender fully to my calling. It took me a long time, but um, we, all of us, I feel have a purpose and a calling in life. And I think what I wish for you is to do some real thinking about what that is and fully lean into that. And it might be really scared, but I really hope that you are willing to be courageous enough to fully lean into your gifts and your talents and your purpose and your calling. And for me, number three, this is just something that I really um, recently took on. I started to meditate. Um, people get scary about meditation or they don't know where to start or what happens. I, I now practice loosely transcendental meditation. But here's what I would say. Be still. Allow your mind to be still. Take Five, 10 minutes if you can a day. If you can't do that three times a day, two times a day, once a week, it doesn't matter. Like take a moment to be still, to heal, to process, to forgive yourself, to be kind to yourself, to allow yourself to make mistakes and reflect on that, to celebrate all that is good and wonderful in your life. But I think this idea of stillness needs to be something that people should begin to practice. So in closing, the three things that I'm recommending is use your voice, sit at the table. Number two, um, be willing to fully lean into your gifts. And number three, take a moment of self-care to be still, to embrace and reflect on all that is you. You are good enough. You are enough. It's an important thing. It's it's not. I don't think it's told to people enough. You know, <laughs> you know and for our folks who are, who are listening, you know, Venus, there's everything's coming. You know, the lágrima le está saliendo. No, but I mean, <laughs> for the listeners, understand that I'm looking at someone, and I, you know, it's almost like she was staring at me, and you know, you just say to yourself, you know, and and I think Elbert would 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 uh, co-sign on this. When we started this podcast, it was a passion. You know what I mean? And we knew throwing it out there was throwing it out there. We don't know where it goes. And to have somebody like you to like say it, it's almost like an affirmation and, you know, of like we're going in the right directions because we're using our voice to, you know, we're sitting on the table. We're using our voice. We're kind of going into our passions and, and going to who we are. I mean, don't you agree, Elbert, in our conversation? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and claro que sí. And I think, you know, the thing that I think that, that also comes to mind as I say this talks is that, you know, I think sometimes we forget the roots of the things that 
that we need to do are sometimes right there in front of us and we don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a lot of people in terms of you talk about meditation. I always think to myself, you know, my mother every day to sabe, ella siempre coge una hora. She takes an hour and ella reza. Right. And she takes it and she's at But But that's meditation. That is. Right? That's a little bit of silence. That's like call it what you want, whether you're doing it with a rosario, whether you're doing it with a thing like our people do things. Right. And I think that's one of the, the I think the insidious things sometimes, especially as professionals, is that we rise up and people tell us that we have to in some ways close the door on our parts of our culture so that we can rise professionally, not realizing that in some ways. Those things may look different, but are the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just saying, like, sometimes if we look hard enough, sometimes the things and the, the things that we need are perhaps right there, but perhaps not, not in the same, you know, not seen in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Or not seen there, right? And so, but, but, I, you, but, but I can always, if someone ever told me, oh, does your mother meditate? I might not literally think about that, right? But now that you say that, I'm like... No, mami hace eso cada día. Cada noche ella lo hace. A veces lo hace dos veces, right? And so it's just, you know, it's, you know, like, just almost like figuring out, like, what are those connections, right? And then you think about that and you think like, wow, there, there are these cultural touch points that we all share, that we all do, that maybe we do it differently, right? But yeah, we call it time, something different, pero es la misma cosa. Es la misma cosa, right? And more than anything, like, I don't know. I know for me, I don't know if I appreciate it how beautiful that relationship with God that our parents were having. And, and, and like in my, in my effort to lead a different life than what I saw my mom lead, I might have been willing to devalue or not appreciate the gifts that she was or the things that I was seeing or see or reflecting on her relationship with God that I now in my forties can take a step back and acknowledge that in some ways and have a deeper discussion with her about it. That maybe in my youth and my trying to figure out who I am and what I'm supposed to do, I might have rejected before. And so I think Albert, when you, when you say that, it's like, can we acknowledge the beauty in our culture? Can we acknowledge the things that have made us who we are as our people? And could we celebrate that in an open way that we might not have done so previously? Right. Right. And I think it's even more important now, especially because we live at a time where there's so many different people of different ages and different cultures living together. It's really important when you say those kind of things. And I think it's true. I think when you become a parent, um, you suddenly look at your parents experience in a different way. Right. Um, Where you go through certain things you look. And so I I also wonder when you say that, when you say those words to Cecilia, it gives us a little bit of at least a path in which we want to, you know, lead the work, all the work that we're doing and be inclusive of all, you know, a bunch of different folks um, and understand the, the different relationships, right? And so that people have, whether it's, you know, through their God, through faith, through the things that they see as, as core to their being, um, just kind of like trying to kind of figure out, right? In terms of that way. And it might not be, like you said, it might not be your way, but understanding what are some of those shared, you know, those shared foundational values that then we can use to then get to the goal that we all want to do, right? We all want our kids to succeed. We all want kids to like reach their potential. We all want um, everyone to, to, to be the best person that the best version of of who they want to be or they can be right of themselves. And so how do we kind of do it? But again, you think about it. And and I think, especially when you hear these conversations of like these arguments of like boomers versus millennials versus (laughs) all all those kind of other things, it makes you you think about like, well, how is it that we're communicating? and how we're kind of doing it. And then how do we teach, especially our kids, 
some of those important values without the trauma, mm-hmm. right? Without the trauma that, that created certain things, right? Um, you know, how do I teach my daughter how to um, succeed and push through her goals without having to raise her in poverty to do that, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of the value and to do that stuff, right? And, and knowing those things. Or, or how do you teach, um, how do you not be dogmatic to religion, but also teach faith? Right. And the faith in something that you can't see or touch and stuff like that. Right. All really like, I think, um, essential questions, right. That, that, that we have to say. Right. But you know, like that kind of like would, you know, that's kind of what like what flips into the, my mind, you know? Yeah. yeah no, I love it. I tell you, <sighs> we're taking a moment para respirar. Okay. So for I'm saying, I, I, I can't think of, of starting the year, you know, if I, especially in terms of all that's going to go on with the 2020, I can't think of a better way to like, you know, have a conversation and think about that and kind of, you know, and figure out, Hey, Mira, you know, these are some of the things that, that we should think about, not just today, but through the course, you know, yeah, and, and have those conversations because, you know, sometimes it's just, um, seeing somebody else's eyes. It's always, you know, people always say, Oh, you never walked a mile in my footsteps and this and that. It's not really trying to walk in somebody's footsteps, but maybe looking at something with a different eye, you know yeah. what I mean? With a different yeah. look, maybe wearing glasses, maybe, you know what I mean? Make spectacles, you know, it's not to make a joke out of it, but you know, sometimes you, you know, you've mentioned it several times. It's like, you know, faith, you know, your mom praying is, is meditation. It's her meditating. And, with, and I think we're so quick to say that's the wrong way to do it, but we have to also embrace our differences culturally as well. And then if you really think about it, we all do something. They're all the same. We just call it something different. You know, culturally, yo soy Dominicana, but you know, pero in total, we're somo Latina. What do we have the same? We're always talking about what we have different instead of what do we do the same? You know what I mean? Like, what do we have the same, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm really, I was, you know, very excited to have you on the show for many, many reasons. Uh, and, and now I'm, I, I feel like, you know, like this aha moment. What is it that they, on Sundays, Oprah has, you know, the Sunday, you know, revelations. So, you know, that's, I feel a little bit like that because there's things that you said that sometimes you can hear it, but sometimes it's somebody else the way they say it. Como lo dicen, you know what I mean? Because it, it, it is what it is. I was like, oh my God, yes, I got it. Or as Oprah says, aha. Or how I'm going to say it. Oh, oh no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Well, me, it's, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I, I just wanted, before we, we wrap things up officially, I want to give you an opportunity just to say, like, you know, what are some of the things you'll be focusing on or, or, or doing, especially with, you know, in terms of at the Obama Foundation that you'd be spending in terms of 2020 doing, maybe give us a little bit of preview or, or is there anything else you kind of want to leave us with in terms of, um, you know, any call to actions or anything like that you're doing, especially around the work that you're doing in Boston? Thank you, Elbert. I mean, here's because, because we're talking amongst friends and, um, in our country, I think the only thing that I want to just remind us of as Dominican, right? Like I think every Dominican that I ever encounter in any part of my career, I work really hard to lift them up. And I work, and, and what that means, like, I acknowledge their Dominican-ness when we meet. I recognize them. I want to hold them up. I want to make them successful. I want to lift them up as much as possible. And I just want to remind us, as a, como una comunidad, 
that the best thing we can do is lift each other up. And when we see that each other isn't living up to our own greatest potential or may not be fully leaning into all of our gifts and talents that we pull ourselves aside and we support us each other in the journey. But I think in 2020, what I want for us as people, as our people, as Dominican is like, let's, let's hold each other up. Let's lift each other up. Let's open doors for each other. Let's open windows for one another. Let's make sure that as we continue to rise in our own career, that we're pulling each other up. And so that's, I think that the more we can do that with one another, the better we can do that. And then this holiday, as you are thinking about all the people in your lives that matter, take a moment to spend some time hearing your grandparents' stories, your mom's stories, your dad's stories, your cousin's stories, your Thea's story, your Theo's story. Their story has value. And, and I'm sure they have so many things to share with you that you have not even asked them about. Take a moment to ask them to tell you their story. Wow. I can't think of a better way to, to end and it. Mangu um, for your soul, baby. Mangu for your soul. This is why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do. Mira, ente gracias otra vez, Cecilia. I know that in the new year, I'm sure we'll have you back on. There's lots of great conversations that I'm sure that we want to, you know, kind of continue to have with you. We still didn't get, you know, we got to get into in terms of how it was in Miami. I want to hear, certainly, certainly there's an exploration about what it means being at, at the at the both at the forefront and at the, at the crossroads of, of blackness down here in Miami. So that's a, another, another separate conversation to have. But all in all, it was a pleasure having you in. Thank you again for, for being on the show. Thank you again to my co-host, Vanessa always bringing knowledge and, and grace um, to our stage over here. Um, and thanks again to our listeners, to our Keloke fans and, um, who tune in, um, whether immediately or whether it's later on, telling our friends, please continue to support us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And as we say here in Keloke, as long as there's good continue to spread um, and Dominicans doing stuff, Keloke will always be here. Thanks a lot, folks. Gracias.